Hey, we are in week four of our series called Lessons from the Well. We're walking through John 4, which unpacks the story of Jesus making his way to a location that, you know, the, the normal Jewish person would never venture. There was a lot of issues between the Jews and the Samaritans, and they each thought they knew the right way to worship. They each thought they knew the right uh, lineage. There was like a, a, a country split, and it just was a little strife building, and so they detested one another. And so Jesus demonstrates for us, shows us some things that we've been looking at that really will assist us at bettering our capacity to share Jesus with others. We've looked at how we can approach someone and even breaking down the barriers that exist in us, whatever they may be, that would keep us from bringing Jesus up in conversation. We've looked at how to have a a casual conversation or just engage in conversation with somebody new. We've also looked, last week, we, we looked at really listening and discovering the issues at heart in people's lives so that when we're speaking to them, we can speak to their heart and not just speak to uh, a rote script to share Jesus, if you will. And now today, we're going to look at Jesus ultimately keeping the main thing, the main thing, which is... Jesus, right? Keeping, it it must have been weird for him to like, the main thing was him. You know, talk about tough living in humility when it's like, well, it's supposed to be all about me, right? (laughs) It's just be really weird, but Jesus did it. It, it, We could see in scripture that he lived without sin. So somehow he brought the focus back to himself without stumbling into pride. And, uh, Let's read kind of how he did that through the text today. It's quite a chunk, John 4, 4 through 27, whether you're reading in the handout or whether you have your uh, digital device and you're, you're on the app, you can follow along with us. Or on the screen, it says, he had to go through Samaria on the way. So he's on his way to Jerusalem and he had to go through Samaria. He was called to go there. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. And he was alone and at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew, and and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get the living water? And besides... Do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoy? 
Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. That would hurt, right? It would be like, oh, okay, what's happening here? Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place to worship while we Samaritans claim it's here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter where you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem, in a church building or in a school. Oh, wait, that's not in there. Sorry. Uh, but it won't matter where you worship. Verse 22, you Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when the worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father's looking for those who will worship him that way. God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming the one who's called Christ, when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Imagine right at that moment in her life, it's like, I am the Messiah. Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask What do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? What a story. When I took my first pastorate, it was in Spokane. Got there, moved over from Seattle. People said, oh, once you go to the east side, man, you'll you'll either fit in and be there forever or, like, you'll, like, lose touch with the west side, like, going back in time, bro. You know, but I did. We took this job and the Valley of Spokane, and, and it was called Verdale at the time, and uh, moved out there and just into an apartment called the Whimsical Pig Apartments. We thought we had arrived, right? It was just crazy. Like, Whimsical Pig, what the world? It was awesome. And uh, Valley Assembly of God there, and we were pastoring youth, and it was a crazy good time. And there was something that didn't exist in the Valley of Spokane at the time that I was really, really used to. And it was this product called Starbucks. So I was like, oh, my goodness, we did go far, far, far from home, Toto. You know, it was just weird to be out there. And uh, so I had to learn these other, like, coffee brands and shops. And I remember they had just opened the Spokane Valley Mall. Big-time stores, 
not really, but you know, it was a small little mall that was just in its beginning phase, and, and they opened a coffee shop inside of it that a bunch of the locals were like pumped about, and it was called Thomas Hammer Coffee, and they, they were all about this Thomas Hammer Brewery that was local downtown Spokane, so I remember being trained how to make coffee over here by people who worked at Starbucks and they tell you to like do it in a certain order and make it in a certain way and so I was watching this I ordered my drink at the time was a double tall non-fat hazelnut latte extra hot and double cupped and and so I had ordered this drink and and uh, they were working on making it back there and I was watching them do things like totally backwards from what I'd been taught and I was just going, oh, this is going to like, oh, look at the shots are just like sitting there and it's going to get bitter. Oh, no, this is not good, you know. And I'm just kind of watching what they're doing. And so I start asking questions. I didn't want to be like a, a hater on the poor guy making the coffee. I was just like, you know, this is a pretty big play. I guess they had a lot of like shops around Spokane and just made their way to the valley. And I'm just going, so um, uh, what like, how do you guys learn how to, like, the order of stuff? And, like, who do you guys have training? How do they train you? You know, I'm just trying to, yeah, oh, you know, yeah, I guess you could say that they, they, they put us through training. And I was like, that's sweet. So, like, they have, like, um, uh, do they teach you to, like, pull the shots first and just let them sit there? You know, I'm just kind of inquiring. I'm trying to be nice and not too, like, uh, snobbish and, and just feeling a little foolish myself, but I'm just realizing I paid like, you know, what, $5,000 for this cup of coffee. So I'm going, this is going to be crazy. I want this in the, the best flavor possible. And, 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 you know, so they do send you through like a school. It's like, well, I guess you could say that, 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 you know, and the guy's kind of avoiding the questions. I'm just going, what in the world, you know? And so finally I thought I'd been nice enough to introduce myself when the coffee comes uh, a while after the shots had been sitting there. And, uh, and it sets the coffee on the counter. I'm getting ready to pay. And I was just going, man, I just, well, thanks. I, I'll be interested in tasting this. It's just a little different than I learned how to do it, you know. And, and he's like, I could tell. I could tell you probably were trained by somebody like Starbucks or whatever. I was like, yeah, yeah. Who trains you? He goes, I, I guess you could say, you know, Thomas Hammer trains me. And, oh, okay. That's cool. And I was like, well, my name's Thad, you know. And, and he's like, well, nice to meet you. My name is Thomas Hammer. I was like, ruh I just made a fool of myself, right? You're going, the owner happened to be the one working that day at the new Thomas Hammer coffee shop. And it's like, well, now he wasn't the messiah of coffee, and it did taste fine. But anyway, you know, he was just like, he was just like, I'm Thomas Hammer. And I can imagine that was just me feeling like a goofball. This gal is like, well, I know the Christ who's been prophesied for hundreds of years will eventually come, and he'll make sense of everything. Yeah, you're talking to him. Right? That moment, I kind of, because of that experience, have a little bit of a sense of that moment because I experienced that in that coffee drink moment. But here's the reality. The big idea for today is clarity points to Jesus. Clarity points to Jesus. If we want to be clear about our faith, all arrows are pointed to Jesus. Now, what's this clarity thing? Clarity allows people to see Jesus for who he is. 
When clarity is lacking, confusion reigns. And when confusion reigns, people can't fully grasp or understand the love of God. They can't comprehend grace, forgiveness, and the new life that's found in Jesus. In a culture of confusion, the world we live in that's polarized and we hear about it every day multiple times, our job is to bring clarity to people's lives. And if they really want to make the most sense of life, clarity comes through Jesus. I love working outside this time of year. It seems like if I choose an outdoor project that I need to plan for, though, when I get to it, it's those 90-some degree days. And I'm just like, bricky brack, why am I out here in the heat, right? So, uh, but what I do like to do to just take my mind off of how much I'm profusely sweating is listen to podcasts. I love to listen to, uh, and I subscribe to a bunch of different podcasts. And my favorite recently that I just, the one that I'm up to date on is a leadership podcast by Donald Miller called Story Brand. Donald Miller's written a lot of great books and, and worked with some different film companies and basically helps brands or companies discover how to clarify their message. And every podcast opens the same that, that, that he begins. He says, welcome to the Story Brand Podcast where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy. And he doesn't say it quite so cheesy, but this is my cheesy voice. It's noise is the enemy. And creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business, Right? That's how the podcast opens. And what they're talking about is the reality that the world we live in has so much noise that literally they do all these studies and they share these studies through companies that have successfully made their message clear to the world around them and successfully grown. He's saying so many of us are saying so much that people's minds shut off and they can't quite grasp what we're about. They literally just have too much information. We have too much information in the world we live in. And so we just pause out our listening or our cognitive receptors and just like go into neutral zone. And people do that from our advertising to our websites to our faith. I mean, we, they just get to a point where it's like you mentioned Jesus and they're like, click. Neutral, <laughs> no longer listening, right? And so some of us have given in and just said, I'm going to stop sharing the message of Jesus when that's not the issue at all. The issue is clarity. The issue is that our message of Jesus has just not been clear. It's been muddied. Jesus came to clarify the message of love from God, right? His Father God. He came to clarify just how far love reaches and how constant the love of God is for you and me so that then you can go be that vessel for him to flow through in other people's lives, the same that he demonstrated. He, what is he doing with this gal at the well? She's tossing questions his way, and he's bringing clarity to the issues at hand. He's just bringing it right back pointing to Jesus. We have the opportunity to clarify our message and, and learn more. That's why we're always challenging ourselves. Man, if I can consistently read Scripture, if I could daily expose myself to a reading plan, 
listening to podcasts, reading books that increase my faith, then I'll become more and more fluent, more and more clear for people to understand how much God can love them and how much a relationship with Jesus will empower their life to be lived to the full. It's like, how can I become more clear? Well, we have three thoughts for you today that we can grasp out of the John 4 story. And the first is, clarity corrects. Clarity is not afraid to correct someone when they're veering off track. We live in this culture that maybe gives five to eight seconds for you to get your point across. You realize it's like, in fact, on that podcast from StoryBrand, one of the things they talk about is the grunt test of websites is if in five seconds I can land on your website and figure out what you're all about. And oftentimes they can't. They're like, man, I have no idea what your website is about or what your company does, you know. And, and it's the same way with our faith. If we're trying to explain Jesus to somebody Do they get really confused? Do we use language they don't understand? Do we make it really uncomfortable for them? And and so I think the eight-second rule, how we see that playing out in, in the world today, is we live in a headline culture. That all we know about what's going on around us, we're bombarded by so much information as we kind of learned and trained our minds to just read the headlines. We don't trigger into the content all the time. There's some key words that might lead us into the content, but oftentimes the headlines now aren't even the real idea within an article. It's clickbait, as some would say, fake news, just to get you into the article. And you get into the article and it goes, not really, here's what you really need to know, and it explains it, and you're going, wait, not really, but if I would have just read the bold, But then you get in conversations with people, right? It creates confusion. Because if you're just reading the headlines, and if you're in small talk with somebody, and you try to change the subject, and you just say, well, man, you know, this is going on, or whatever you bring up, what do people start to dialogue with? They drop headlines into the conversation. And you can quickly realize in a circle, I think maybe... All we know are the headlines. None of us have clicked into the content of this issue. And and if anybody has, will they have enough courage to bring clarity to our conversation? Will they correct our off-trackness, right? Well, with that in mind, think of the conversation Jesus just had with this woman up to this point. He'll talk about water and, and she'll toss out a headline... This is the greatest mountain that fed water to so-and-so and and -and so-and-so. Or, you know, Jews say, he mentions that it's obvious that he's a Jew. And so she's like, Jews don't like Samaritans. Why would you talk to me? Or you say the correct place of worship is here, but we think it's here. These are headliner conversations. They're the the lead-in conversations that would happen at the water cooler at work, right? And she's just not going deep into anything. She's just tossing surface headlines at Jesus. And what does he keep doing? Shifting the subject to get her to the main point, which is, I am the Messiah. It's interesting. He doesn't get off track. Jesus uses this moment 
He uses the launch pad of the misunderstanding from the headline that this gal is quoting to him to bring her closer to him. We can do the same today. We could do the same and courageously correct people's misunderstanding about Jesus or church or faith, Christianity. How many times have you been in a conversation where you've brought up faith or Jesus or church and immediately you get maybe the one-liners, the headlines, tossed out? Headlines like, oh, all the churches want, all churches just want your money. What? How did you know that? I'm just kidding. <laughs> How, did that get out? No. That's what I'd do. I'd make a, I'd make a joke of it. But, uh, or just, I, don't, I just don't have time for church. Headline, church takes a lot of your time, right? Or maybe they'll say, Christian, Christians are all hypocrites. The only Christians I've known have been hypocrites. Or they'll toss out, if God really existed, why would bad things happen to good people? Or they'll toss out, where was God when fill in the blank from their life? They might say something like, our family doesn't do church. We've never done church. Nobody in our family goes to church. Or church is just for small-minded, weak people who are desperate for hope. I've heard that from family members. I love you if you're listening to this podcast. Anyway, you know, so it's just like, you know, when, when they quote a headline, it's... It, what if we just shift our mindset, and when we hear a headline come at us, we say, this is my invitation to bring clarity to the situation, to the content that they're quoting the headline for today, right? I mean, Ephesians 4 teaches us to do this. Ephesians 4.15 says, instead, we'll speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ who is the head of his body, the church. Speaking the truth in love is simply leading people to the content they missed while, while living in the headlines of the faith. Maybe somebody said to them at one time, ah, all Christians are hypocrites. And they just walked with that headline, not realizing we could easily say of all of us, humans are hypocrites. We all tend to be hypocrites. Isn't that so? Like, oh, yeah, wait. There's people in church. Oh, yeah. So humanity is in church, and we all sin. So it's like, you know, you just go, yeah, that's true. There are hypocrites in church, and there's hypocrites in the grocery store, and at Starbucks, and at Thomas Hammer Coffee in Spokane Valley Mall. You know, it's just like realizing there's hypocrites everywhere. And, uh, but yet, you lock on a headline. Well, how do, we, how do we speak the truth then? And how do we love people to the truth? I think our challenge would be that we don't lead with truth. I think we need to discover truly how to lead with love and grace and a life that is a demonstration that demands a gospel explanation. If we'll lead with love, it gives us a platform to speak truth. Notice Jesus wasn't condemning this gal in any of his conversations in John 4. This woman at the well came, and he was willing to accept water from her. He was not saying, well, I obviously, since you have five husbands and the man you're living with now is not your husband, I do need water from someone else. Your hands are not worthy to give me a drink. You know, he didn't 
look down on her. He was just stating a truth that would jog her to a position to hear what he really had to say, that he was the Messiah. And we look at opportunities we have around us, and we have the opportunity to live a life of example and love and grace, which will reveal moments where we can then speak truth versus hammering people with truth and then saying, oh, but I love you, which usually is an offense that is really hard to overcome. What if we lead with love and example, live life open in a way that they can see what is happening below the headlines and make some go, this person's awfully nice, but I thought Christians were like uppity and I just don't get it. If we can get them to that spot and say, well, here's the reality. You probably just had a bad encounter with somebody. Oh, oh, well, man, I just believe the headline. Well, here's the real content, right? If our life can be that content, it could transform people. Thought number two, we need to win people, not arguments. Jesus demonstrates his heart to win a person and not an argument. She doesn't take these arguments to a deep level. She just lets them fizzle out. He, just, he changes the subject ultimately. Second Timothy says it this way in, in 2 Timothy 2, 23 through 26. Again, I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone. Be able to teach, be patient with difficult people. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap, for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. When we're trying to win the argument, we tend to stir up fights. I mean, when we're like trying to battle somebody's faith with like a, an aggressive apologetic strategy and we're coming at them from, from every angle to try to overcome their objections, sometimes we win the argument but lose the relationship with the person because they're just so exhausted by our presence. We're told to be kind so that we're able to teach, be patient, to gently instruct and then let God work on people's hearts because it's him who does the work, right? Jesus pointed to himself as the thing she needed the most. And in our corrections and helping people understand truth, we're pointing to Jesus as well. That's what's going to lead them to hope. We lead people to hope through Jesus. Our goal is to help people experience Jesus to lead them into life abundantly now. The gospel is alive now, right? And uh, the argument here is about winning people. And how will we win people? It comes really out of 1 Corinthians 9.22, which says, To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. So disclaimer I really don't like the term win when it is in regards to people. 
I think sometimes, this is why we don't use that language a lot, but in this scenario, Jesus was demonstrating his heart to save this gal at the well, to win her over. And sometimes when we say win, you might make the mistake of what Jaden talked about last week. You might be, think of yourself as like a Jesus salesperson, and you're trying to sell that car, right? And you're going to sell it through the lens of, uh, man, you've got to buy it. You've got to buy it. I want to get you into this car versus, man, I drive this car, and this car is amazing. I think you'd really love it. We're way more apt to buy the car when someone shares about their love for it versus when someone's trying to push it on us. And, and I look back here, too. Like, sometimes when you hear the word win, you might have the temptation to look at all the relationships in your life as transactional. And they're not intended to be. Relationships are, in, are intended to be genuine. And what I've found helped me is something I learned when I was in sales years ago. I still use just intuitively to this day when somebody drops headlines in my lap of the faith. And they'll drop a headline like, you know, we're all churches just full of hypocrites. And it's this little method called feel felt found. I don't know if you've ever heard about it, but feel felt found. And you just simply use those words. Man, I know how you feel. I felt the same way. But you know what I found out? And they're just like, wait, did you just agree with me? Absolutely, I just agreed with you. The church just wants your money. I know how you feel. I felt the same way. In fact, I was really bitter when my mom got an inheritance from my great-grandfather of $28,000 and cut a $2,800 check to a TV evangelist. I was not happy as a kid. I mean, I was four. How was I not happy? But that stuck in my mind that the church just wants your money. And then I went to church and I found out, oh my goodness, they have a budget. And they're like any other organization that needs to exist. And they've got to rent facilities. And they've got to pay for equipment. And they've got to hire teams. And they've got to give back to their community. And, and they're on mission. And if you're on mission, God challenges your heart. And the thing that makes your heart stumble is finances. And all of a sudden, you can just be generous. And you're free from that bondage of finances. Man, I found that it's like they're not about your money. They're like about your heart. Somebody's staring at you just going, wait, you, you agreed with me about that too? You know, and so you could just go through every, like, headliner somebody tosses at you. Yeah, I've never gone to church. I'm not a religious person. Man, I know how you feel. I, you, I, I felt the same way. I wasn't religious. But you know what I found out? Man, growing in a relationship with Jesus isn't about religion. It's about living life to the full. And I'm missing out on something if I don't have that relationship with Jesus. It's just, there's a little tool for you if that's a challenge for you in conversations. But you want to see your friends saved. You have this opportunity to, to, to just open up a dialogue without arguing with them. Try agreeing. I know how you feel. I felt the same way. You know what I found out? It's worked for me. Thought three. Simple, and it must have been awkward for Jesus to do, but he did it. Bring it back to Jesus. As Jesus, you would think it would be hard to bring it back to yourself. But the reality is, is he's challenging us here to bring it back to Jesus. 
We keep Jesus the main thing because Jesus is the main thing. When you read scripture, it all points to the coming of the Christ, the Messiah. Just as the woman said, someday the Christ will come, the Messiah, the Son of God. Yep, certainly will. That's what I just said. One day you're going to worship in spirit and truth. And that time is really close, as in like two feet away from you. It's that moment where your heart is burning and you realize something's happening here. Like one of those celebrity encounters where they're disguised, right? And they're interviewing you. I love this. On, on late night, on the Tonight Show, they'll go out and, you know, and they'll have somebody in a park and they'll be asking them, you know, what do you think about this athlete? And they'll be saying, yeah, he's pretty good, but he's a little small for his, his wages. And I don't know if he's hitting enough runs this year. And, and all of a sudden, they're like, well, I am that athlete. And they're like, oh, you know. The gal must have been thinking that or heart burning inside of her because Jesus brings it back to himself. No apologies. He just says, I'm the Messiah. That's why I'm saying to you, like life, you'll never thirst no more. You'll never hunger no more. All this life comes through me. We acknowledge, we admit our shortcomings as a faith. Their objections, their headlines, we bring the content back to reality. And we make sure Jesus is at the center of that response. Not our feelings. Not our ideas. Why do we preach from Scripture at Open Life? Why is our source always Scripture versus ideas? Well, because that's the living word. God's the one who brings people's hearts into right relationship with himself. My idea isn't going to change anybody's world. But if I could bring them back to Jesus and show them what Jesus encouraged them with, and like he's going to break down his barriers and talk to anyone. If this woman at the well can follow Jesus, any of us, None of our sins will get in the way of pursuing Jesus with everything in us. Christians are not perfect. In fact, the age of perfection Christianity, wearing the mask, walking in, everything's great, going to be a good day, going out to the car and cussing at our spouse and beating our kids, that does not exist anymore. It's become this genuine culture where we come in and if life's not good, life's not good. Can you pray for me? That's the genuine heart Jesus demonstrates here. Jesus is demonstrating, I I know you've had five husbands, and the one you're living with now is not your husband, but I'm still going to reveal myself to you because I love you. We're for all people. We can acknowledge where faith creates conflict and brings disagreement in the world around us. We can acknowledge the the weaknesses of the faith, and yeah, wars have been started because of religion. All these things have occurred, but yet there's still life to the full through a relationship with Jesus. You can still find hope. You can bring it back to the faith. Bring it back to Jesus. Jesus pointed the woman back to himself. I'm the living water. I'm the Messiah, right? And we need to learn how to get back to Jesus instead of just sharing maybe our church or our ideas. We need to learn to get back to Jesus instead of just sharing our faith generically or, or maybe 
uh, instead of bringing it back to our upbringing or instead of bringing it back to our experiences. If we could bring it back to Jesus, Jesus alone can transform the heart. So our action point today is super, super simple. Keep Jesus the main thing. When we're given the opportunity, be it through a headline or comeback or however we insert Jesus into the conversation, when we're given the opportunity to clarify Jesus to someone, make sure we use Jesus in that moment of clarity. Pretty simple, but it's easy to veer off and just share our experience or our feeling or, you know, what we grew up in in the church instead of really getting to know Jesus personally and then sharing out of our own weaknesses and transformation. People experience Jesus when we bring clarity to who Jesus is and what following Jesus is about. People will grow in their relationship with Jesus because they will experience him clearly. We've got to take away all the noise of the headlines. Get it, get it aside so that we could just say, Jesus does love you. And I want to make this clear to you. And you know what makes the best example of the love of God? Your life. Just lived out openly. Let someone see the weakness and the strength. Be real with what your struggles are and successes. And give Jesus praise for progress. It's that easy. That's what worshiping in spirit and truth is. It's giving thanks. It's a, this isn't a style coaching on worship from Jesus. This is literally a heart instruction from Jesus to worship him in everything, in the bad, in the good. Turn it back to Jesus, and it'll begin to catch and gain traction. Why? Because God's doing work on their heart, not because of anything that we're doing. We just get to play a role. Only when we keep Jesus the main thing in our own lives will people begin to clearly see his demonstration through us. So I want to send you out today. I want to pray for you to just have the courage to live out loud. And it doesn't mean you have to necessarily do anything drastically different, but just don't hide your faith anymore if that's been a challenge for you. Don't skip over that moment where you could bring up Jesus because you fear the headline coming back at you. Just realize, I could bring clarity to this. I'll use that feel, felt, found thing and connect it with real issues in your own world, in your own life. God, I thank you for everybody that's here today. Fourth of July weekend, a lot of people took the long weekend. But God, I thank you for those who were able to make their way in to open up the scriptures here in John 4 and around your, your Bible that they could learn from you today and discover your love for all people afresh. 
your ability to bring clarity in a world that just reads headlines, even back then. How much more do we have that challenge today where people give us about five to eight seconds of their focus? Give us wisdom, Lord, as we have opportunities to share. First, give us the opportunities. But then, as we're in those moments, sharing how you've impacted our life personally, when the headlines rise, Lord, give us the words to say to bring clarity to your love to bring clarity to the life to the full in you. And if anybody here yet today is, has not made that choice to invite you, Jesus, into their life as Savior, I pray that right now they would, they would make that choice to follow you. They'd simply invite you into their life and, and pray, Jesus, come into my world. I want to follow you as Savior and discover what it is to, get, to, to live this life to the full. And Lord, as they begin to live this life and step out and walk in the faith, may they just discover how their own headlines they were believing of you really weren't the content. The content's totally amazing. Following you is experiencing life to the full. The hypocrisy falls off the way. And genuine living is so much more amazing. God, I just thank you for the hearts of everyone here and the people that they know and that they're going to encounter this week. And I just, I pray for fresh life to come into others' lives. The heroes are sitting in these seats in the story of faith in this community. This is your front line, those that are going to take the gospel out from here and make a difference serving Bonnie Lake, serving the surrounding community. And I thank you for every one of them. In Jesus' name, amen.